You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week, the 11th to the 15th of June. Uh, Jeff has gone home sick already, so it's just me and Jez here. Thank goodness. Tell you. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I miss you, Jeff. Uh, this week, he struggled through, though, for an excellent week. We had a chat to Lee Winnell, former Breakfasters movie reviewer, former recovery movie reviewer, gone on to become Hollywood director of uh, the Saw franchise, many other things. He's got a new film coming out. We chatted to him about that and about how much he misses Triple R, which is yeah, lovely. It was great to chat to him. Great movie upgrade. And also uh, I met some sharks. I got to got to pat a shark. You patted a shark. It was the greatest day of my life. You did. Uh, for Wednesday, we got Jeff to write a poem about a footballer. Now he's going to do it every week. It's great. You have to listen to it. You'll love the poem. <laughs> and also we got to chat to Aaron Foley, who's the chief storyteller of the city of Detroit, um, and just had a chat to him about how the creative industries can help influence social change. Uh, and let's not forget our Friday Funnabagger. Laura Dunham's in. Yeah, with some funny tales. So with some mysteries to be solved. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Upgrade is a new SF thriller. It's opening in cinemas this Thursday. It stars Logan Marshall Green, but it's written and directed by Lee Winnell, who is joining us now in the studio. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thanks for having me. I say welcome to Breakfasters, but of course you welcome were. Back welcome back to Breakfasters. Breakfasters. You were a film reviewer here back in the day. <laughs> oh, yes. Which yes. team was that with? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was changing because I remember at first it was Kate Langbrook. And and Dave O'Neill. Yes. And then when I I think there was a break there, and then I came back when it was Phoebe Squared, Angus Sampson, Tony Wilson, and Sam Pang. Classic team. Classic yeah. triple R teams. <laughs> it's got much worse. Was that, is that pre recovery or during recovery? That was after recovery. The first <laughs> the first round with with Kate and Dave was not. Um, that was not in my most responsible era of life. So I probably wasn't the best person to be relied upon for film reviews. Um, <laughs> um, I feel apologies. Like there's stories, there's stories there. There's, there's definitely stories there. Um, yes. But then in the Tony Wilson, Sam Pang, Angus Sampson era, I was really, I was just new, new man, really taking, I was waking up before 12 and, and, then, and really just, Doing things right. Going to bed at a reasonable hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, All right, uh, if, I, if I can put you back into either of those roles and you can choose whether it can be the early incarnation or the later incarnation and ask you to summarise the plot of Upgrade, <laughs> oh, nice. how would you do so? Well, I did I did used to do this thing in the in the Sam Pang, Tony Wilson era where I would say if this, if this movie was a dot, 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 it would be a... Like, um, oh. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, if, if this movie was a tracksuit, it would be a bright, you know, I'm not, oh, this isn't for upgrade, but I'm just making <laughs> this up. It'd be, it'd be like a bright silver velour tracksuit with gold trimmings and, you know, I would do that. So with upgrade, um, <clears throat> um, if this movie was a car, it would be one of those Mad Max XB Falcons that the oh, cops yes. use. That's exactly uh, what I was thinking. Just a big, wait, are we, are we on the same yes. wavelength? Because I went, the, I reckon the best analogy you've got to come up with is, is a car. Yeah, you it is. It. It, yeah, <laughs> we are so there. This is, I told you this was my spiritual home. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It, 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 well, cars are kind of used uh, as metaphors in the movie because 
the the film is about a guy named Gray who's kind of um, an analog guy in this digital future world where computers run everything, and he fixes up old cars. Uh, and then um, he and his wife are attacked, and and um, she's killed, and he's left a quadriplegic. So, um, and uh, at that point in the movie, he's offered the chance to have a computer chip installed in his body that will control his body for him from the neck down. And he does it, and then he discovers that the chip can do much more <laughs> yes. than just make him walk. That's exactly what's where I'll leave it. Exactly. Exactly. In, in a world where computers run everything, oh Grey Trace is about to find out. What they can do, or something like that. So yeah, it's a bit of action. I didn't know sci-fi you were the movie guy. Thrill. Yeah, I do that too. It's pretty <laughs> lucrative, actually. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Really good. Uh, I mean, we've introduced you as if being on breakfast is the most important thing that's ever happened in your life. It is, by the way. Well, at that time, at that time, I was like, I can't believe I'm on Triple R. <laughs> but you did also do the Saw franchise as well as the Insidi- Insidious franchise. But this is only your second film as a director. Why the move from writing to director? It's been a long time coming, or a, yeah, new, I- a new interest. I think so. I mean, I went to film school to RMIT in Melbourne, and which is where I met James Wan. And, you know, I went to film school to direct. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to go to film school and make movies. And then I met James and, you know, I always say it was like joining a band and and with Kurt Cobain, you're like, oh, fine, you can write the songs. <laughs> I'll just I'll just be here on tambourine. <laughs> so you know, he was so talented, and we had such a strong love for the same movies that when we finished film school, we kind of organically ended up teaming up and making stuff together. And I just thought that it was uh, there was strength in numbers because the film industry is such a cruel and unforgiving. It's not exactly uh, welcoming anybody with open arms who's recently finished film school. So <laughs> I was like, you do the directing and I'll do the writing. But I always had in the back of my mind that one day I would direct. But I was kind of happy to be one half of this team, you know, because mm. obviously it was going well. We were making stuff together and, and why, why, why ruin a good thing? And then James got the opportunity to go and do... Fast and Furious 7, this giant movie. And that was when I was like, maybe I should go and direct something now because <laughs> um, he was off doing that. Those films take like, you know, a year to make. So that was when I decided to go into directing and I discovered I loved it. So why um, why sci-fi? Horror has been your thing for so long. Have you been secretly wanting to make a sci-fi film for most of your life as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know... I always say I'm not a horror film fan, I'm just a film fan. I love all types of films. Um, to me, really, there's only one... There's only two genres, good films and bad films. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll watch anything. If, if somebody wants to show me, uh, you know, a, a musical from the 40s but they're, but they're saying it's a great movie, that's all I need to hear. And, um, and so I've written films in other genres. Um, I actually wrote a, co-wrote a film with the aforementioned Angus Sampson a few years ago called The Mule. Oh, yeah, I've seen I it. Yeah, I think it nearly cracked double figures in terms of viewership the other <laughs> I was day. one of them. You were one of them? <laughs> you were the one that brought us up to ten. Um, and that was a really fun experience, shooting a film in Melbourne, and that was n- not a horror film, although quite horrific. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I've written a comedy. I wrote a kid's film that hasn't been made yet. That's my great white whale that's sitting out there like I need to make this film one day. Um, so, yeah, it was always... That was always in my mind to do other things, you know. Yeah. I think with SF movies, they, they depend really heavily on a kind of aesthetic, I suppose, this sort of sense of what the future looks 
and feels like? How did you go about imagining what your near future would be like, the, the, the sort of visuals of it, the kind of feel of it? Well, I knew I wanted it to be near future, really near future. Like, I guess when you're making a film set in the future, you can go one of two ways. You can go really far into the future, like Blade Runner with flying cars and, you know, this sort of neon lit Akira-esque dystopia, or you can go more near future. And that was what I was interested in. Um, and so I went into it knowing that. And then when I met, when I, uh, met our production designer on the film, Felicity Abbott, she had this idea that every all the tech in the film should be really hidden and kind of based on the mo- on the on nature on the natural world, and so I I loved that idea because I wanted to do something that hadn't been seen before. So that's why there's a lot of rock and wood and plants in the film. Um, I th- and yeah, I think that 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 was a really good aesthetic choice. I thought. Uh, one of the really distinctive things about the film are the fight scenes. You said before, um, Stem the chip can do other things. One of the things. Mm-hmm he can do is fight Mm -hmm. how did you go about getting that really distinctive look in those kind of combat scenes um it was a a long process i'd written in the script a line in an actual line in the script that said um you know gray's fighting style is very stilted and strange and it's one thing to write that but then to make it real is another so we just worked really closely with the stunt team i was always saying to them like you know, you need to, we need to choreograph these fight scenes the way a computer would fight, which would, you know, a computer just takes the the path of least resistance. So it's going to do an algorithm and figure out what's the quickest way to take someone out. And so there was a lot of conversations and then we had Logan Marshall Green, the actor, and he was doing all this training. He was um, in there at 5am every morning doing all this movement training and then I also worked with the cinematographer, Stefan Ducio, who's another Melbourne boy. He, he and I worked out this style of shooting the fights where we would lock the camera to Logan. So it was, it was a little bit of everything combined that, that turned out the way you see it in the film. It's a, sorry, it's a fairly low-budget film um, and yet it does not come across like that at all. So how do you make such a big Hollywood blockbuster... Like on a highway in Craigie Burn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly where he made it. Well, shooting in Australia actually gave us a lot of bang for our buck, um, not only because of tax rebates and things like that, but I just think the crews here and the and the artists here and the craftspeople, they, they're just really resourceful and they go, you know, they'll just give you um, that little bit extra I think that it would be hard to get in another country. And I really believe that. Like, um, we were getting so much in this film that we shouldn't have been getting just because the crew were, like, going the extra mile and being like... um, They would just somehow get it done. And so I think there was that. But um, it was pretty hard to... Because I want the film to feel like The Matrix. I don't want... um, people in Australia going to see the film to be sitting down like, oh, I'm going to check out this low-budget movie. I want them to feel like they're watching something, a really big story, you know? Yeah. There's a character in it. <clears throat> Is it Aaron? Have I pronounced it? Aaron, yeah. Aaron, Aaron, that's it. And he kind of looks physically like a cross between Julian Assange and Elon <laughs> Musk. Was that intentional? Yeah, kind of, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Harrison, he's a he's an Australian actor. He was great. He um, For that role, I just was auditioning people. And um, Nikki Barrett was the Australian casting director and she was sending me all these 
videos and there was a lot of great actors but Harrison just struck me just looking at him I'm like oh yeah that's him yeah totally <laughs> he's just got he's good at that kind of dead-eyed look and um he was awesome he really got into the role and like wasn't talking to anyone much on the set keeping to himself and um it was it was good I like when actors do that when they just you know dive in both feet like get into the role yeah, you sure he just didn't like you? <laughs> yeah, it could have been that because yeah. he was talking to everyone else. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, it was just me. Hey, how much does it annoy you that you've made at all, or you might get joy out of this, that you've had this hugely successful career in Hollywood yet? When you come to Australia, we just want to ask you about your time on recovery. Oh, n- <laughs> not annoying at all. Okay, if I'm desperate to talk about recovery. Oh, yeah, I, oh, if you hadn't have brought it up, I would have. I would have been like... Um, Weird that you didn't mention recovery. <laughs> um, there was a couple of years ago there was this big push to bring recovery back and I remember well, you, you guys did, you and Dylan and um, mm-hmm. a bunch of the others did a bunch of interviews talking about kind of how special recovery was at the time. Was there ever really a chance it was going to come back? I don't know. I mean, I would have loved it if it if it had have come back. I think Australian TV is uh, really missing that type of show. Yeah. It's um, it was it, you know it, it's one of those things that when you're in it you don't know how great it is. But in hindsight, I'm like, wow, three a three hour live show <laughs> that had up to five bands on each show and a bunch of untested, unproven, pretty untalented people hosting it like it was total chaos. Uh, at the time, I just thought, yeah, this is totally natural. <laughs> this always happens. And now looking back, I'm like, God, that was a little cosmic flare. Like that'll yeah. probably never happen again on Australian television. The, and Bruce Kane, who was the sort of driving creative force behind the show, he he very deliberately did that. Like it wasn't an accident that everyone on the show had no experience in TV. <laughs> he, was drive, he was driving that and making sure because he didn't want anything slick, which is why the show was always kind of chaotic. I mean, it was yeah. total chaos. Oftentimes we wouldn't know we were on the air. You just oh, in, wow. in your peripheral vision, you'd see someone furiously signalling at you, waving their arms behind the camera, and then you'd look up and you'd be like, "Oh, I'm on TV!" Like the red light would be on, but you wouldn't know. Like that's how unprofessional we were. That makes me feel much better about some of the things that happen here. So, Phil, <laughs> yeah. your upgrades opening on Thursday, but you're going to be at the Nova tonight doing a Q&A. We didn't manage to... Oh, yeah, we got a thumbs up. Oh, yeah. oh, we, oh we, have a, yeah. we have a thumbs up. Sorry. Do um, we establish whether thumbs up means it is sold out or it's not sold out? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the thumbs up means it's not sold out. Oh, hang on. It, yeah. I can't oh. now. I forget. Okay. Well, now we're just confused. <laughs> confused. Anyway, it's either sold out or it's not sold out. Yes. Best. <laughs> this is, okay, this is recovery all over again. Oh, no. This is This is a very recovery situation. It's either sold out or not sold out. So drive to Carlton because we don't know if Courtney, the publicist, thumbs up through the glass. We don't know if thumbs up means sold out or not sold out. Now, Courtney, give me two thumbs up if it means sold out. Oh, it's it sold is sold out. out. It, it is sold, sold out. out. Excellent. Don't drive don't to Carlton. Drive to Unless you really want to go to Tiamas, don't go to Carlton tonight. Unless you live in Carlton and being in Carlton is your thing. You know, if okay. you're in Kyneton, don't, go, don't drive go to, to Carlton, Carlton no. to go to the upgrade screening. That's what I'm hearing through the glass. Just wait till Thursday where it's where it, it opens. Yeah, it's, like, it's two days away from coming out. And really, I'd rather you buy a ticket, yeah. you know what I mean, than show up. Yeah. Uh, the film is called Upgrade. We've been talking to its writer and director, Lee Winnell. Thanks so much for coming. Can I just be one of the breakfasters yes. again? Yes. Yeah. Sure. I'm really enjoying Please. it. You know, yes. I want to go back to 2002. Can you see how high the standard is now as well? <laughs> it's, really, it's lifted a 
a lot <laughs> since the Sam Pang days. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au. You are listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Uh, I patted a shark on the weekend. <laughs> oh my god! The you end. Know, I saw this photo that you put up, and both Andrew and I. I feel like Andrew was like came to me and was like, Geraldine, this is like the greatest moment of Geraldine's life, isn't it? It really. If people was. haven't seen it. The, the expression on your face <laughs> is something. It's pure joy. Yeah, I was. I was very excited. So I was in. I went to Newcastle for. Uh, I was doing some gigs there for the comedy festival roadshow. Um, someone I was filling in for someone. So I, I spent one night in in. Cessnock. We did a show in Cessnock and then three nights in Newcastle. So we were there the whole time. I was there with uh, a few other comics. Josh Earl was one of them. Um, Tom Cashman, who's from uh, Sydney, and Susie Ruffle, who's a UK comic, and and also Bob Franklin. So and I before I go on these trips, I like to look at what are some activities we can do during the day. Ah, planning all, ahead. We've got all day. We've got all day to yeah. do things. Don't like being stuck in a hotel. Some That's people, good. You're a good person to be on holidays with. Yes. Or on events with. So uh, so I had looked up um, some things to do. I don't know how I came. Anyway, I found this place called Iri... I, know, I always say this wrong, but Irikanji, the, the, which is the jellyfish. Oh, yeah. That tiny little jellyfish that is the most deadliest animal on the planet. The one that they thought was giving people heart attacks yes. when they were going snorkeling. Yes. So the Irikanji uh, We jellyfish. talked about this, Jeff, on air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, giving us a confused look. But mm. Anyway, it's called the Irikanji Shark and Ray Encounters. Mm-hmm. Ah. So I have sharks and rays. And you encounter them. Yes. Get in the water with them, give them a little pat, feed them. Okay, so can you... Explain the obvious thing. How do you give it a pat without it biting your hand? They don't want to bite your hand. They just the sharks in there that don't bite. What kind of sharks are they? Uh, well, in in we went into a, a few different ones. In, in the first um, pool you go into, there's like all the rays and and like the Port Jackson shark and also a zebra shark was in there. Zebra shark. Yeah. Two uh, stripes. Yes. Black oh. and white. And <laughs> but the, the Port Jackson shark, you would have seen that. They've got them at the zoo. You know when you go into oh, the aquarium? Yeah. They're the little ones. Yeah. yeah, they're quite small. So, you know, and they don't they want they don't want to bite you. They want to eat the little bit of fish that you have on a peg on the end of a stick that you hand feed them with. Well you don't hand feed them, you feed them stick feed them. Yeah, stick feed them. It's amazing. Wow. Like the way that they like you to grab onto it and just whip it out of the peg. Did you feel yeah. nervous at all? No, no. Really, no. you didn't, because I'd feel like I couldn't trust trust the situation. Oh, uh, no, I trusted. No, I felt fine. Oh, what about good. with the rays? Do they, you have to make sure they don't hit you with their tail? No, oh, yeah, oh, yeah their barbs. They they said those barbs are like um, they're like a, a nail, and, and it takes like six months to grow, and they're like that is their only form of defense, and it is highly unlikely that they would waste it. On you. On you. And also they cut them. Oh, okay. Oh, so they okay. keep them trimmed. Yeah. Like cutting your nails. Yes, exactly. So it doesn't hurt them or anything and they uh, – so it's – and it's all, you know, it, 
I, I felt fine. Like it wasn't like I was yeah. sticking my fingers in their mouths. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I tried, but they <laughs> were not so ha- into it at, at all. How big was the biggest of them? Uh, the, there was the tawny nurse shark, oh. which that was the one that I was patting, and it is huge. What did it feel like? Um, oh, I did don't you know. have to wear gloves? Because I, I imagine wear... they'd be pretty funny about interaction with animals. Mm. Yeah, the the ones, the, the tawny ones, we had to wear. We had gloves on. So, but it was just, I don't know. It was just like a, you know, a big animal that's did right. It feel it's like, incredible. But is it like soft, like a fish? Or sandpapery, 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 yeah. sandpapery for the for the sharks, and hard like muscle or yeah, blobby, hard like muscle. Oh. And, and did it seem to like it? Was it like like patting a cat yeah. or something like? Does it yeah, kind absolutely. of? It's like a dog. It just kept on coming round and it come right up close to you, so you could. It, they they like lo- pats. They like they loved the pats. Really they loved them. Yeah, what loved did, it. Was did, did they tell you why they like the pats? They yes. Uh, because oh. um, the lady said that sharks can see auras, and <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting that. I know, right? And that <laughs> oh my god, the sharks can tell that 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 we're calm and that we're nice people. They're like, oh. you know, they're like magpies. They know when we're good, and they come. They they know. What, what if very you weren't? Like, what if yeah. you went there and you weren't a nice person? Would it they, bite you then? No, they don't bite you. They just don't go near you. They go, oh, you're not interested in me. I'm not interested in you. Was and there anyone there that it wouldn't go near? No, there was only there was only a few of us in there, and the lady said that uh, sometimes because these tawny sharks they sleep for uh, they don't move they hardly move they just sit there and you know feed every now and again. But uh, but she said there's been times that people have gotten in the water with them and they're just not interested at all because the the people aren't interested in the sharks that much. Like because they can see our auras. Do you now feel like this is? Um affected the way that you might respond to a shark if you were to encounter one in the natural world? Um, maybe, yes. You think I you'd th- be more calm? I think, yes, I think so, absolutely. And also with the rays as well, like they had stingrays. Yeah, and the rays freaked me out. Like there's a few little bays up at the Mornington Peninsula where mm. the huge rays come in. And like the big manta rays. And I've yeah. been swimming there before and I cannot bring myself to be in the water with them. I'll always leave. Oh, really? When we were in yeah. Vietnam, we went swimming with those enormous ones and they have, they're like aliens. They're like yeah. incredible, aren't they? They just f- swim above you and just calmly mm. flapping their great flaps and yeah. swimming along. I just, it was incredible. Like there was one called Geraldine as well. Oh, wow. That was pretty exciting. Huh. You loved that. bonded with it? Yeah, gave it a pat, and <laughs> and also the rays. If um, if you want to know what they feel like, it's yes. like the inside of your mouth. Gross. Yeah, like <laughs> it's not what I expected. Yeah, like, wow. like well, not what you wanted. A no. bit like a bit like gelatin, you know. Oh uh. no, really? Like slimy and kind of really. Yeah, it was amazing. Do they all have names too? Oh, I didn't catch all of their names only because the laddie was trying to get the attention. Of Geraldine, and I was just getting. Geraldine was a ray or a shark? It was a ray. Oh. Yeah, really cool ray. Was it named sp- after you? Sure. No, she, I don't know what it was named after, but it was. Uh, it was just like it was incredible. Like it was, and it was just exciting, you know, because it almost wasn't going to happen as well. Like I came in going, "Come on, guys, let's. How, do, how about we do this thing?" And then it was like, "Oh, it's a forty-five minute drive. It's too far. We're not going to do it." And I'm like, "Come on, let's let's do it." And then we. 
we did it. And also uh, during the day, um, there was a lot of talk about conservation and also not using plastic bags and stuff. So they kept on going. They talked about how how damaging one plastic bag can be in the ocean. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the day, like we had. Because we didn't know that we were going to get in the water. We didn't know how it worked. So we just wore our normal clothes and then we wore wetsuits. And then, but then we had our undies got wet while oh. we had our wetsuits oh. on. So we'd all. We, Do you have to wear un- Oh, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Well, no that was bathers. the thing. Yeah, no bathers. And like these are, you're not bringing your own wetsuit. Yeah, no, please wear undies. Yeah, so we're, we're undies. And then it's like, well, the. <laughs> They're wet, so we just, you know, everyone's free-balling after that. Oh, and then, God. Yeah, and then we were like, well, what do we do with our undies? And, like, Susie was like, oh, maybe I'll just go and ask, I'll buy something from the gift shop and then get, like, I'm like, mate, they're not going to have any bag. plastic bags here. It's not happening oh. at all. Oh. They didn't, but they gave us little brown paper bags and we put our wet jocks in there. How creepy. <laughs> can, can they race the auras as well? Or yes. just the sharks? Just no, the rays and the sharks. They said, but mostly, mostly the sharks. It was quite an incredible experience, like touching sharks and also meeting the people that worked there. Like the guy at the front counter was like, when we got there, he was so excited, just a like a surfy type dude. And at one stage, he said to Susie, he goes, "Have you heard of the movie Star Wars?" And I'm like, "I, <laughs> I don't know where that's going, but that is enough for me." <laughs> I'm out. And I'm out. <laughs> yeah, see ya. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. Uh, Jeff, you had to do the dare this week. Yes, once again, we completely forgot. Yeah, in fitting your... fashion, I yep. get a text at. What, at five o'clock? Saying, what's my dare? I <laughs> wasn't even sure what I was doing it. Well, actually, I te- texted both of you because we have this. Strange arrangement where you're on a different phone system to the one we were on. I can never see whether, like, you guys get the messages separately or whatever. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't know that it's a. I didn't know it was a group text. It, yeah, it's well, always a I mean. group. It's, it's always, always a group text. Yeah, but you don't doesn't seem like one. Anyway, mm. so Sarah suggested that um, what what was her suggested? Oh, yeah, that's right. I should start a fight with the prime minister on Twitter. I thought that would I would love to do that. Well, but that's why I thought of you. I thought of things you like to do. Yeah. What you often do in the evenings, anyway. <laughs> that's funny because and then just threw in the PM. Yeah, I. That was my thinking behind it as well. Oh. I went, it's five o'clock. I'm gonna. He's gonna be fighting on Twitter in about an hour. <laughs> well, I I went. Well, I didn't get him to do a fight on right, Twitter. I'll get to you in a minute. All right. Uh, and then she said, um, "I should." Convince Steph that I've bought a colony of ants to assist with my next book. Ants are they communists? <laughs> oh my! Which I did think about for a little while, but, but then it's oh, actually, oh, that's really good. Thanks. It's actually scarily close to a proposal I'm actually made for a book that I'm going to do. So I thought I couldn't do that. And then about half an hour later, I got a text from Geraldine. Um, which was write a poem about an AFL player. Oh, one mm. of my suggestions had been write a poem as well. There you go. Yeah. See, but great about, minds think alike. But about, I said, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, well, they communists. <laughs> well, yeah, no, she wanted me to write a poem about you guys. So anyway, so I thought, all right, I'd best do it. If that's what my dare is, I'd best write a poem about an AFL player. So is it about Fifey? <laughs> 
Well, first they had to find an AFL player. Well, so, this is why I wanted you to do it. I wanted you to oh, do a bit of research so on AFL players. So I went into players. AAP and I've got the first story I could find. Are you familiar with someone called Dale Morris? No. No. Oh. You're not? No. Isn't I don't know like every fam- AFL player. Isn't he a famous player? AFL player? Yeah, he's all right. He's kind, yeah. He okay. So he's, he's not that famous. Oh. He's a veteran. Why have okay. I wasted this poem on him then? On the Western hey, Bulldogs. Oh. Well, According so anyway, this, to him, this, this it's not a waste. No, it Actually, you know what's good about this? There is a real... There's a bit of a tragedy around what's going on with him at the moment. There is, like, some emotion. That's and right, depth. and that's what my poem taps yeah. into. It's a, tra- it's a tragic There's poem. Tragic so this is depth. the story from a um, from AAP News. Western Bulldogs eye man Dale Morris needs knee surgery, sparking speculation about the 35-year-old premiership defender's AFL future. Yeah, so sad. He's at the end of his years. 35, you don't come back for a knee. For no. A knee. no. One of the league's toughest players, and the Bulldogs are stressing he's ma- having major arthroscopy to fix meniscus damage in his knee. I have meniscus damage in my knee. Ah, well, you're pretty much like Dale Morris then. And then <laughs> Club Medical Services Manager Chris Bell says that they hope that he's going to be able to come back. Do you know what else? My knee surgeon is the Western Bulldogs knee surgeon. Yeah, it's not about you. Yeah, it is. I'm bringing yeah. it all back to me. <laughs> anyway, he's played 242 games, so I thought you'd be familiar with him. Yeah, so no, yeah he's, a, he's, a, he's a veteran of the game. A veteran mm. of the game. So I read a poem about him. A yeah. hard man. There aren't many left. Yes. All right, shall is I that, read it Is out? that the vibe of what you're going hey, for? Hang on a second. Before you get to the poem... Yes. Uh, how much... Is that the only research you you have done on this player? Yeah. You just read one article. You didn't Google his name? No, and no, see just one article. You really? So you haven't looked up any of information no, about him? No, it's just a poem. It's not a thesis. I mean... But a poem's meant to draw out what's yeah. within. And how would you know that? Yeah. Well, Where are you getting your inspo from? <laughs> other my than inspo's from... AAP, which For example, I, I, do you know that he weighs 91 kilos? Mm. No, I'm not now. writing a biography of him. I'm just writing a brief poem for my Wednesday. But don't you feel like you have to need, a pers- need to know a person to write a poem? Do you want to hear the yeah. poem or not? I like the way he said poem. Poem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very tempted not to read my poem. <laughs> read no. your poem. Um, read your poem. How long is Is it a haiku? <laughs> no, it's not a haiku. It's um, heroic, heroic couplets. All right. Do you know that he broke his tibia in round yes, twenty-one oh. against two thousand against the Bombers? That's the big bone in your in your um, leg. One of the worst you can break. Mm. It's next to your fibia. It's the it's the and T for tall, T for tibia. That's how I remember the difference between the two. Sure, um, I'll read my poem. He also played the entire final <laughs> series with a fra- fractured vertebrae. Stop telling me more about really? Dale Morris. Yeah. That's and impressive. then when they won the granny, I know. I so what I mean is a hard band. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, in fact, that 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 makes it into my poem. So is that what your poem is called? It hard hasn't man. got a title as yet. Name it now. Uh, it's called Iron Man Morris. Yes. Whoa. Oh. All right. <laughs> Gather around, listeners, while I tell you the story about Iron Man Morris and his kneecap of glory. Oh, this is good. His body is fucked from age and <laughs> from tear. Sort of a language warning for any kids out there. <laughs> he must go to the surgeon for meniscus repair. The portents for Dale's future look grim. Most likely there'll be no more kicking for him because of his knee, you see. Yes. Uh, yet Dale has beaten the doctors before. I read this in AAP. He played against Sydney when his backbone was sore. <gasps> oh! Yes. Club doctor Chris Bell is most keen to propound a thesis that Morris will quickly rebound. Let's raise a glass to Iron Man Dale and hope that the joints in his legs will prevail. 
He's played many games since his football debut. Perhaps he best now find something else he might do. That is a round of applause. Poor old Dale. I hope he's all right. You've set this day on a better track than it started. Let me tell you, that was brilliant. Well, well, there you go. That's great. I feel sorry for him. Yeah, he's had a real rough run. Here's the second part of your deck. There's no second part. Yeah, put that on your Facebook page. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. Yes, you have to do that. Yeah. Or tweet it in couplets, at Dale (laughs) Morris, if he's on Twitter, because that would be great. It's a very beautiful poem. Please do it. Yeah. All right. Sure. Can you tweet it all through the show? Just tweet it one line at a time. <laughs> sure. I'll um, retweet it. Can you? Yeah. yeah. Can we please do this? Sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is genius. Anyway, that was a really good dare, Jez. Thank Jeff, you. That was the best. I'm beginning to think that you're actually the dark horse of Wednesday. <laughs> oh, I've known he it really for a long time. He really yeah. commits, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always thought you'd be the worst. I actually would say that Jez is probably, I thought you were going to be the Wednesday queen. Mm. Yeah, but what about my beautiful owl from last week? Yeah, that was, yeah, good. was good. Maybe yeah. I'm the worst. Yeah. Well, it's your turn next week. Oh. Now's your chance to redeem yourself. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au. Yes, it's Friday Funny Bugger here on Breakfasters. It's lovely to work. Welcome back to the studio, Laura Dunham. Hello, everybody. How are you going? Hello. Good, Good. thank you. Sarah, you're just okay, aren't you? Yeah, it's been a difficult morning. And you fell over yesterday. And, and I fell over dramatically. And also, you don't know. You have to you, say, I fell over dramatically. Fell <laughs> <laughs> it was dramatically. And you don't, this is not your fault, but also, uh, you know how I have problems with eating? People oh, are eating and their sounds, and you've been eating. Um, oh, of course, I listened you've been to that eating segment. Some kind of disastrous food in front of me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was thinking eating. about that the whole oh, time. Oh, mate, if you, if Just you say could, it. If next you could time, say, I'll nah. go into the next room. Yeah, I've been she's eating been my silently breakfast. planning to murder you. <laughs> uh-huh. And I have been eating something that is pretty disastrous. I've been eating what looks like baby food. Yeah, it is. It's, it's actually probably the worst sounding thing I could hear someone eat. It is. Mushed apple with yogurt and some other crunchy Coconut crap flakes and chia seeds. Oh, mate. And the chia seeds go all gooey and expand. I could hear. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> I, like, honestly, oh, I, was, right. I was waiting waiting for you to say something. I was trying to was be... Was I a... creating an elephant in the room with I, my chia seeds? I was trying to be a better person. Oh, you've had a tough week. I fell over the other day. Did you? Yeah, I fell over on a bushwalk. I was in Lawn and... Um, with friends and we decided to walk from Erskine Falls, which is about exactly 7.5 kilometres from <laughs> yeah. the township of Lawn in the hills, and you walk all the way down, like, through the river. Like, you know, you cross over the river and there's heaps of slippery rocks. And I started off the walk by saying, guys, there's going to be some really slippery rocks <laughs> and, you know, if someone breaks their legs, it's going to be really hard to get ambulance officers down here. So let's all be really careful over the rocks. We're not in a rush. Let's just make sure that it's safe before we cross over. Do you have ambulance cover? Yeah, I do. Great stuff. Get Who's, a helicopter in there. Oh, I would have. I should have done it on purpose <laughs> just to get the chopper. Yeah. <laughs> get value yeah, for Ellie money. Lived, I was thinking a lot about how they would get me out. Anyway, who's the first person to stack? Laura ding, ding, Dunham. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, mate. Was it a big stack? <laughs> it was quite big. I did a couple of flips and my drink bottle flew out you of my flips? hand. What do you 
mean? Yeah, like I sort of twisted around and because I sort of went to fall on my hands and then I took my hands away and then then I kind of popped my shoulder a little bit. But the best part is... The best part is for the like next like two days you get stuff done for you because you can say I had a fall. <laughs> I had a fall. At what age does it go from falling over to I had a fall? Any yeah. age, really? You I choose. feel like it's a very elderly thing. I had yeah. a fall. You but choose. Laura had a fall. I had a fall. <laughs> Do you know what the best part was? I wasn't sore at all. I was oh, just You're just putting it on. <laughs> Oh, mate. That's what you get. You, when you have a fall, you get the privilege to be able to fake <laughs> and Injuries. get stuff done for you. Yes. Anyways, sorry that you're a bit down. No, no, mate, it's all right. I've got to, I've got to learn to cope better. Also, Laura, I'm sick, you might not have noticed, but I'll have some sympathy too, thanks. I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> You've been yes. coughing your germs. I've never met someone who hasn't learnt coughing across the studio all morning. <laughs> No sympathy. You're very liddy today. Your eyelids are really... Yes, like little pigs. Like little piggies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what happened to um, Big Big Man Big, Jeff? Big Man Jeff. Big Man Jeff. Yeah, come on. Live it up. Live up to your name, Big Man Jeff. He wants sympathy, With little but then piggy he'll... eyes. <laughs> <laughs> little piggy eyes. Um, anyway, I thought I would talk about... Something that Geraldine and I saw the other night because last year I came on the show and I did a segment about Melbourne mysteries, about things in Melbourne that we can't figure out. And, for instance, one of the ones that got solved by someone calling in or messaging in, probably messaging in is better. um, Oh, yes, the the smell on the Bolte Bridge. The smell just before the Westgate that smells like wee and it turns out it's the Vegemite factory. Oh, that's right. I forgot mm. all about And I this. go past there almost every day and now I can know it's not we. It's just the yeasty smells of the Vegemite. <laughs> Do you breathe in a bit deeper now and knowing that? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeasty. Uh, yeasty. <laughs> and they even have a big Vegemite billboard Do up they? there. Yeah, at the moment. So I don't know why I didn't click Pick up on that. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, we've got another mystery, don't we, Geraldine? Yes. Yeah. So the other night, Geraldine and I went for dinner and it was lovely. And we were walking home at the end of dinner. Yeah. And we're walking up Smith Street. The end of Smith Street. Where the We should give the exact location so that yeah. if people know, they can tell us yeah. what it was. So it's where the there used to be an Adidas shop there, like an Adidas factory outlet. Oh yeah. Yep. So yeah. closer yeah. towards Royal yeah. Parade. No, is it Royal Parade? No, Alexander Parade. So closer towards between Alexander Parade and, and Johnson Street. And Johnson. Yeah. yeah. And if you're walking if you're driving or walking towards Alexandra Parade, it's on so the, the left-hand left. side. Yep. yep. If you're going towards the city, it's on the right-hand side. It's on a corner. Yep. It's on a corner. We walked past this building, right, and <clears throat> it was all like all the windows were boarded up. It mm-hmm. looked like an old shop front, but all the windows were plastered up. Yeah. But there was this one hole with a window in it that was probably about... A, um, I reckon it was about a metre radius. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it was a circle and there was um, like a Venetian blind kind of thing set up, but it was open. Yeah. Uh, I've got then, a photo. I can send it so you can put it on your socials because okay. I want to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> we'll put it on our story, our Insta story. Yeah. And then inside there was... There was people, but there was... And they were painting a mural... 
on one of the walls. In the in the room. In yeah. the room. Inside. Then closest to us there was a pool. Yep. Like a, a swimming, swimming pool, pool. size yep. with not water but pink balls. You guys just didn't glance in, did you? You really stuck your faces oh, we up were, against the window. We were They're hanging for, around for a while. Yeah, for quite some <laughs> trying to get we're different big, viewpoints. <laughs> yeah. But pink, maybe almost ball, glittery balls. A ball pit. A ball, a ball pit. pit. A glittery ball pit. Yeah. And then there were blown up donuts made into the shape of an igloo. Yes, and oh. also a big blown up pizza slice in, yeah. the, in the pool of balls. And these people, they were right, they were painting this mural that was blue and pink. And what did it say? It was something like, it was something oh, like, something be, like that. Don't stick young. your face in our hole. <laughs> If anyone, and, but oh, oh, there was also um, like, like photos lights, that, yeah, like a like photography setup. Yeah, and I suggested maybe they're about to film a film clip in there, oh. or do some sort of photo shoot. What else was in the? Was there anything else you, you couldn't see what they were writing on the mural? It was something about being young. I, I honestly it was in like cannot bubble, remember. It was in like bubble writing. Something, yeah, something about being young. Could it have been a very dramatic, one of those gender parties? What are they called? Gender gender reveal parties. Oh. No. Okay. Someone has suggested that it just sounds like a random art installation, pretty standard for Fitzroy. Yes, that is probably highly likely. That's the most most boring (laughs) possibility. I feel like there might... What else could it be, though, that's like a bit more exciting? It could be a film. It could be a Katy Perry film clip. Maybe she'd come into town. It It was very Katy Perry aesthetic, let me just say that. Yeah. Like California, (laughs) California Girls and Friday Night. Yeah. Yeah. Are those like with some pink, maybe like pink flamingo people dressed up as pink flamingos and mm. and stuff and getting getting jiggy with it in the yeah. in the ball pit. Yeah. Someone said taking acid and walking along Smith Street is my favourite pastime. <laughs> well, we weren't on acid that night, yeah. <laughs> but I like to live my life every day as if I am. <laughs> Mystery solved. Uh, oh well. Anyway. If anyone knows, text in. If anyone specifically knows what it is, like suggestions are great, but if someone is involved in whatever this project is, I have a feeling they don't want us to know because they boarded up all the windows. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And also because who doesn't want to get in a ball pit? We wanted to get in that ball yeah, pit so much. Yeah, and we so also much. discussed how much we would pay to get in the ball pit and we settled on $35. Yeah. <laughs> ball pits, could it be a McDonald's? That's a very precise figure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Could it be a McDonald's? Something to do with McDonald's because they have ball pits. Do they? Yeah. Where? Well, Campbell and Maccas used to have a ball pit. They were oh. all pink, though. Oh. All yeah. pink balls. I've all never pink. been in a ball pit. Have you got? Have you ever been in one? Mate, here's oh, your chance. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they might be germ-ridden, but I'd still oh, pay well, to I'd... do it. Anyway, please let us know. Text Thanks. in. Call Thanks, us Thanks, Laura. That's Thanks. all right. Thanks, Laura Diamond. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Got you into breakfasters here on Triple R. The Creative State Summit is happening at the moment. It's at the Melbourne Museum at 
It's featuring a whole series of international guests. One of them is Aaron Foley, the chief storyteller for the city of Detroit. He's joining us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, obvious question, what is a chief storyteller? <laughs> a chief storyteller is a lot of things, and honestly, the definition is evolving <laughs> as as the job evolves. I've only been in the role for a year, but basically um, Detroit has always had some competing narratives internationally as far as um, being the poster child for American devastation or being the poster child for, um, you know, white flight in in the States and whatnot. Um, But what we're trying to do is sort of um, add to the narrative and add to the narrative that's always been there as far as um, every Detroit resident has is their voices matter. They have a story to tell. And um, we have a website and a cable channel and some of the other, some other like social media platforms to make sure those, those voices are heard. Is this the first of its kind in the U.S.? Are there similar programs you know about? We believe so. So there's always been communications people and public relations people working in city government. Um, but no one that's really come in and actually, you know, did some more stylized um, you know, actually, instead of writing press releases, I actually go out and write stories about people. I, I interview people or my videographers go out and shoot these short documentaries or my photographer, you know, does a lot of, um, you know, real stylized photographs and whatnot. I have two other writers that go out and, and talk to people. They interview people. They ask them, you know, tell me about this business you started or tell me about, um, you know, this this house you bought or something like that. Um, it's real community reporting. Um, in a way, and trying to elevate what public access reporting looks like, and that's what we're doing. For people that don't know what Detroit is like these days, is that something that you can sum up easily? Because there are competitive narrative, yeah. competing narratives about it, as you said. How would you describe Detroit to it's, people of Melbourne? It's <laughs> it's not very easy to sum up because it's always been a complicated city, but um, it's a city that certainly had its challenges. Um, you know, uh, we. We're one, you know, we're a majority African American city, um, and we've kind of had the brunt of all of the the worst things that could ever happen to you know African Americans in in, in the United States, um, and because there's such a heavy concentration of it, you know, there's a lot of things you know like poverty and illiteracy and things that um, generationally have always affected uh, African Americans uh, back home. But also, um, you know, we're we're an industry town. You know, we we produce automobiles and whatnot, and when the car companies uh, started having their own problems, whether it was the you know, recession in the 70s or the big recession in the 2000s, um, that always hit Detroit really hard. Um, our education system is a little bit of a mess. Um, there's been corruption in the government and all, all these types of things. So all of these negative things that have happened, but all through the while, um, people, people have always made, made Detroit home, um, even the worst of the worst. Um, I grew up in Detroit. I grew up during, um, you know, the big thing for me growing up was Devil's Night and every Halloween, Halloween in the States, uh, people would burn down abandoned houses and things like that. And the fire department would just be all over town trying to put out all, all these arsons. Um, that was the, you know, we were the murder capital and all these types of things. I still grew up in Detroit. I had a great time growing up there. I've had lifelong friends. I got a great education. Um, I, I, it kind of made me the person who I am today. It made a lot of my friends and a lot of people around me the, the people that they are. Um, and we, you know, our Detroit wasn't that bad. You know, it's had its challenges like a lot of American cities, but now it's a city in recovery. Um, it's a city that's gone through bankruptcy, largest municipal bankruptcy in the States. 
Um, and now we have a lot of good things going on. We have, you know, new uh, new uh, companies coming downtown, all of this renewal downtown and whatnot. And now you're starting to see that spread into the neighborhoods downtown. A lot of the abandoned homes are being torn down. A lot of people are moving into the neighborhoods. The schools are starting to improve. There's always something new being announced every day. Now Detroit seems like it's the place to be. Uh, you've written a book with the great title How to Live in Detroit Without Being a Jackass. <laughs> Why is Detroit particularly suffering from jackasses? Um, well, with all the good things that are happening in Detroit, we're still very much at risk for gentrification, right? So um, Detroit's a majority black city. Um, a lot of people do have trouble trying to maintain their neighborhoods and hold on to the homes that they have. So when a new class uh, comes in and that can threaten, you know, rent prices to grow up and uh, to go up and, and the cost of living to go up and whatnot. Um, we're in a very precarious position right now, the city of Detroit, uh, to make sure that gentrification doesn't happen like the same way it's happened in uh, New York or in Austin, Texas or um, San Francisco, especially. Um, so I wrote this book because a lot of people were moving into Detroit and, you know, ca- casually forgetting all of the history of Detroit and all the things that brought us here. And also really disrespecting Detroit. They would say things like, you know, downtown is great, but the rest of the city is is horrible. Or, or you know, don't go past this street or don't talk to this people or don't go to this business or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, I grew up in these places that people are speaking so negatively about. And in, to me, in order to be a resident of Detroit, you have to appreciate the entire city, not just one neighborhood or the place that you live. And you have to really understand what Detroit is about. You know, we're a very unique city that, you know, people think, oh, Detroit is a city. It's just like, you know, New Orleans or or, or Cleveland or any other type of city. But we're very unique in, in our culture, in our fashion, in the way we speak, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we walk, all of that. Um, you know, we it's a city that you have to learn the taste of rather than the city kind of accommodating to you. Uh, Going out into the community and getting their stories and telling other people about it, sure we see the and we hear about the big impacts that that has uh, as a whole, but can you talk to us about, um, you know, smaller scale stuff that, you know, the positive things that happen in a community as a result of what you're doing? Um, sure. So uh, this month, for example, it's uh, LGBT Pride Month. Um, and all this month, we've just been telling regular, you know, just putting regular um, LGBT residents in Detroit in the spotlight saying, um, you know, here here's Roland or here's here's Annie or or um, all these t- different um, people across town. And just, you know, they're not doing anything extraordinary. Right. Um, anytime we talk about the LGBT population, we always talk about something they've overcome or, or some triumph that they've had. Um, and we just wanted to talk to people about like, hey, do you like living here in Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, what's it like to be a gay person in Detroit? Um, and that's what we did. And, and so many um, of our LGBT readers um, were just like, you know, I thank you for doing this. You know, thank you for shining a light on on our community. And it, it, and it wasn't just Pride Month. We were doing it. Um, you know, we were spotlighting all different communities outside of, you know, the, the identity month that they're in. So um, our Latino community, our Muslim community, all of these different um people and places that make up Detroit, we try to do it year round rather than just waiting until a specific time period to be like, okay, now this is your time. (laughs) (laughs) Telling the stories of people in the city is traditionally what newspapers did. How is your program different from just the traditional role of the media? Well, we're a little bit different in that, that we kind of go into the communities a lot. Um, there are two fantastic newspapers in Detroit, um, 
that were powerhouses, you know, in the 80s and 90s, but they've suffered a lot of the the layoffs and attrition and, and, and you know, migration to the Internet that a lot of newspapers worldwide um, have had to deal with. And so their newsrooms are depleted. And when you have fewer journalists covering uh, a large city like Detroit, a lot of stories get swept under the rug. You know, there's not as much coverage of of uh, our Asian communities or anything like that because there, there may or may not be someone who understands that community in the newsroom. Ten years ago, you had someone who came from that community and reported exclusively on that community sometimes. Um, so we, you know, what I always say is not, is we're not trying to replace the newspapers. We're not trying to replace the TV stations. But we are trying to make people feel important, I guess. Um, you know, make people feel like that, you know, just because you're not a, a billionaire investor or just because you're not... Um, an athlete or something like that, that doesn't mean your story can't be told. Or another thing is, um, you know, we want to cover the neighborhoods of Detroit outside of crime, right? Um, Typically, sometimes the only time you see a a reporter in a certain area of Detroit is when a crime happens. But, you know, life still has to go on, even, you know, before and after that things happen. So, you know, what what is life like in that neighborhood um, outside of that? That's what we try to do. Okay, you're in Australia, as I said, for the Creative State Summit. You're also doing an event in Taralgon, a, a place that maybe has had a history not a million miles away from what you're describing in Detroit. What is the message that you're bringing to uh, people in the areas where you're talking? Well, to my, to my understanding, there's a lot of um, similarities between Detroit and Taralgon as far as um, both being, you know, very industry manufacturing centric. Um, but uh, I think what I'm bringing is, you know, showing like that this concept that we're doing in Detroit can be replicated elsewhere. Um, I come from a journalism background, a writing background, and I'm sort of just this embedded writer within the city government. So if other governments, you know, state governments, city governments, um, whatever, um, you know, sort of operate on the same level and say like, hey, you know, we want to find new ways to to show that, um, you know, th- there's life here or there, or that this community matters or something like that. Um, there are ways to do it. You know, we do it through, um, um, we have a cable channel and the cable companies pay fees to the city and that's how we fund this whole thing. Um, I'm not sure how it works here exactly, but, you know, whether it's a grant uh, or a foundation fund or something like that, there are ways of, you know, thinking more creatively about how to you know, put people on that platform, make people seen. All right. The Creative State Summit is on at the moment at the Melbourne Museum. It is, I'm afraid, booked out, but there is a waiting list you can go on if you go to the Melbourne Museum website if you want to get along today. And the event at Taralgon is happening on the 18th of June. It's free, but bookings are essential. So go to the City of Taralgon website. We've been talking to Aaron Foley, the Chief Storyteller of the City of Detroit. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR.